Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chadwick Daigle, and I have been reading The Legend of Drizzt, Book 2, Exile by R.A. Salvatore. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that has been getting in touch with me and letting me know how much you enjoy this podcast and that you like to share it with all your friends and family and even have this being read to your children for nighttime. That just makes me feel fantastic. I want to say first off, I apologize 100% that it has taken so long. But on the plus side, I had been busy. This, as most of you know, is just a hobby for me. And I try to do it whenever I can. Last year, I got busy with finding uh, real-life work and a friend of mine who wrote a book called The Dragon's Gift asked me to do the audiobook reading for him on it, and I did that. So that took up a lot of time. And then I started doing a D&D podcast because that's one of my first and true loves is uh, playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And after watching what everybody enjoys, or many of you probably enjoy not, you should check it out, Critical Role. Not to mention uh, Adam Coble on uh, Roll20 with how he does his D&D games. And the Sherlock Holmes uh, with his game over the pond in uh, England. They're all fantastic. And of course, I do enjoy listening to Jason Carl when he's running his vampire game, Hashtag Vamily. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into this because I know a lot of you have been waiting for me to finish this gosh darn book. And so that's what I'm going to do for each of you is I'm going to finish this book. Let's start off with part five, Spirit. Spirit, it cannot be broken and it cannot be stolen away. A victim in the throes of despair might feel otherwise, and certainly the victim's master would like to believe it so. But in truth, the spirit remains. Sometimes buried, but never fully removed. That is the false assumption of Zimkala and the danger of such sentient animation. The priestesses, I have come to learn, claim it as the highest gift of the spider queen deity who rules the drow. I think not. Better to call Zenkala Loth's greatest lie. The physical powers of the body cannot be separated from the rationale of the mind and the emotions of the heart. They are one and the same, a compilation of a singular being. It is in the harmony of these three, body, mind, and heart, that we find spirit. How many tyrants have tried? How many rulers have sought to reduce their subjects to simple unthinking instruments of profit and gain. They steal the loves, the religions of their people. They seek to steal the spirit. Ultimately and inevitably, they fail. This I must believe. If the flame of the spirit's candle is extinguished, there is only death, and the tyrant finds no gain in a kingdom littered with corpses. But it is a resilient thing, this flame of spirit. Indomitable and ever striving, in some at least it will survive to the tyrant's demise. Where then was Zaknathian, my father, when he set out purposefully to destroy me? Where was I in my years alone in the wilds when this hunter that I had become blinded my heart and guided my sword hand often against my conscious wishes? We both were there all along. I came to know, buried but never stolen. Spirit, 
in every language, in all the realms, surface and underdark, in every time, in every place, the world has a ring of strength and determination. It is the hero's strength, the mother's resilience, and the poor man's armor. It cannot be broken, and it cannot be taken away. This I must believe. Drizda Warden. Chapter 22. Without Direction. The sword cut came too swiftly for the goblin slave to even cry out in terror. It toppled forward, quite dead before it ever hit the floor. Zaknathian stepped on his back and continued on. The path to the narrow cavern's rear exit lay open before the spirit wraith, barely ten yards away. Even as the undead warrior moved beyond his latest kill, a group of illithids came into the cavern in front of him. Zaknathian snarled and did not turn away or slow in the least. His logic and his strides were direct. Drizzt had gone through this exit, and he would follow. Anything in his way would fall to his blade. Let it go on its way, came a telepathic cry from several points in the cavern from other mind flayers who had witnessed Zaknathian in action. You cannot defeat him. Let the drow leave. The mind flayers had seen enough of the spirit wraith's deadly blades. More than a dozen of their comrades had died at Zagnathian's hand already. This new group, standing in Zagnathian's way, did not miss the urgency of the telepathic pleas. They parted to either side with all speed, except for one. The illithid race based its existence on pragmatism founded in vast volumes of communal knowledge. Mind flayers considered base emotions such as pride fatal flaws. It proved to be true again on this occasion. Whoop! The single illithid blasted the spirit wraith, determined that none should be allowed to escape. And an instant later, the time of a single, precise swipe of a sword, Zaknafian stepped on the fallen illithid's chest and continued on his way into the wilds of the Underdark. No illithids made any move to stop him. Zaknafian crouched and carefully picked his path. Drizzt had traveled down this tunnel. The scent was fresh and clear. Even so, in his careful pursuit, where he would often have to pause and check the trail, Zaknafian could not move as swiftly as his intended prey. But, unlike Zaknafian, Drizzt had to rest. Hold! The tone of Belwer's command left no room for debate. Drizzt and Clacker froze in their tracks, wondering what had put the Burrow Warden on sudden alert. Belwer moved over to put his ear to the rock wall. Boots, he whispered, pointing to the stone. Parallel tunnel. Driz joined his friend by the wall and listened intently, but though his senses were keener than almost any other dark elf, he was not nearly as adept at reading the vibrations of the stone as the deep gnome. How many? he asked. A few, replied Belwer, but his shrug told Driz that he was only making a hopeful approximation. Seven, said Clacker from a few paces down the wall, his voice clear and sure. Durgar, grey elves, fleeing from the illithids as we are. How can you? Driz started to ask, but he stopped, remembering what Clacker had told him concerning the powers of the peck. Do the tunnels cross? Belwer asked the Hakor. Can we avoid the Durgar? Clacker turned back to the stone for the answers. The tunnels join a short way ahead, he replied. Then continue on as one. Then if we stay here, the Grey Dwarves will probably pass us by, Belwer reasoned. Driz was not so certain of the Deep Gnome's reasoning. We and the Durgar share a common enemy, Driz remarked. Then his eyes widened as a thought came to him suddenly. Allies? Though often 
when the Jorgar and Drow travel together, Grey Dwarves do not usually ally with the Swift Nebly, Thelwar reminded him. Or hook whores, I would guess. This situation is far from usual, Driz was quick to retort. If the Jorgar are in flight from the Mind Flayers, then they are probably ill-equipped and unarmed. They might welcome such an alliance to the game of both groups. I do not believe that they will be as friendly as you assume, Thelwar replied with a sarcastic snigger. But I concede, I will, that this narrow tunnel is not a defensible region, more suited to the size of a Durgar than the long blades of a drow and the longer still arms of a hookor. If the Durgar double back at the crossroad and head toward us, we may have to do battle in an area that will favor them. Then to the place where the tunnels join, said Trist, and let us learn what we may. The three companions soon came into a small, oval-shaped chamber. Another tunnel, the one in which the Durgar were traveling, entered the area right beside the companion's tunnel, and a third passage ran out from the back of the room. The friends moved across into the shadows of this farthest tunnel, even as the shuffling of boots echoed in their ears. A moment later, the seven Duergar came into the oval chamber. They were haggard, as Drizzt had suspected, but they were not unarmed. Three carried clubs, another a dagger, two held swords, and the last sported two large rocks. Drizzt held his friends back and stepped out to meet the strangers, Though neither race have much love for the other, Drow and Durgar often form mutual, gainful alliances. Drizzt guessed that the chances of forming a peaceful alliance would be greater if he went out alone. His sudden appearance startled the weary grey dwarves. They rushed all about frantically, trying to form some defensive posture. Swords and clubs came up at the ready, and the dwarf holding the rocks cocked his arm back for a throw. "'Greetings, Durgar,' Drizzt said, hoping that the grey dwarves would understand the drow tongue. His hand rested easily on the hilt of his sheathed scimitars. He knew he could get to them quickly enough if he needed them. "'Who might ye be?' one of the sword-wielding grey dwarves asked in a shaky but understandable drow. "'A refugee such as yourselves,' replied Drizzt, "'fleeing from the slavery of the cruel mind-flayers.' "'Then you know our hurry,' snarled the Durgar. "'So be standing out of our way.' "'I offer you an alliance,' said Drizzt. "'Surely greater numbers will only aid us when the Illithids come.' Seven's as good as eight, the Durgar suddenly replied. Behind the speaker, the rock-thrower pumped his arm threateningly. But not as good as ten, Driz reasoned calmly. You got friends, asked the Durgar, his tone noticeably softening. He glanced about nervously, looking for a possible ambush. More drow? Hardly, Driz answered. I seen him, cried another of the group, also in the drow tongue, before Driz could begin to explain. He runned out with a beat monster and a swift neblin. Deep gnome, the leader of the Durgar spat at Driz's feet. Not a friend of the Durgar or the drow. Driz would have been willing to let the failed offer go at that, when he and his friends moving on their way and the grey dwarves going their own. But the well-earned reputation of the Durgar labeled them as neither peaceful nor overly intelligent. With the Illithids not far behind, this band of grey dwarves hardly needed more enemies. A rock sailed at Driz's head. A scimitar flashed out and deflected it harmlessly aside. Biv rip! came the Burl Warden's cry from the tunnel. Belwar and Clacker rushed out, not surprised in the least by the sudden turn of events. In the Drow Academy, Driz, like all Dark Elves, had spent months learning the ways and tricks of the Grey Dwarves. That training saved him now, for he was the first to strike, lining all seven of his diminutive opponents in the harmless purple flames of fairy fire. Almost at the same time, three of the Jorgar faded from view, exercising their innate talents of invisibility. The purple flames remained, though, clearly outlining the disappearing dwarves. 
A second rock flew through the air, slamming into Clacker's chest. The armored monster would have smiled at the pitiful attack if a beak could smile, and Clacker continued his charge straight ahead into the Dwargar's midst. The rock thrower and the dagger wielder fled out of the hookhor's way, having no weapons that could possibly hurt the armored giant. With other foes readily available, Clacker let them go. They came around the side of the chamber, bearing straight in at Belwar, thinking the swift Neplin the easier of the targets. The swipe of a pickaxe abruptly stopped their charge. The unarmed Dwargar lunged forward, trying to grab the arm before it could launch a backswing. Belwar anticipated the attempt and crossed over with his hammer hand, slamming the Dwargar squarely in the face. Sparks flew, bones crumbled, and gray skin burned and splattered. The Dwargar flew to his back and writhed about frantically, clutching his broken face. The dagger-wielder was not so anxious any more. Two invisible Dwargar came at Drizzt. With the outline of purple flames, Drizzt could see their general movement, and he had prudently marked these two as the sword-wielders. But Drizzt was at a clear disadvantage, for he could not distinguish subtle thrusts and cuts. He backed away, putting distance between himself and his companions. He sensed an attack and threw out a blocking scimitar, smiling at his luck when he heard the ring of weapons. The gray dwarf came into view for just a moment to show Drizzt his wicked smile, then faded quickly away. How many does you think you can block? the other visible Dwargar asked smugly. More than you, I suspect, Drizzt replied, and then it was the drow's turn to smile. His enchanted globe of absolute darkness descended over all three of the combatants, stealing the Dwargar advantage. In the wild rush of the battle, Clacker's savage hook-horror instincts took full control of his actions. The giant did not understand the significance of the empty purple flames that marked the third invisible Dwargar, and he charged instead at the two remaining gray dwarves, both wielding clubs. Before the hook-horror ever got there, a club smashed into his knee, and the invisible Dwargar chuckled in glee. The other two began to fade from sight, but Clacker now paid them no heed. The invisible club struck again this time smashing into the hook horror's thigh. Possessed by the instincts of a race that had never been concerned with finesse, the hook horror howled and fell forward, burying the purple flames under his massive chest. Clacker hopped and dropped several times until he was satisfied that the unseen enemy was crushed to death. But then in a flurry of clubbing blows rained down upon the back of the hook horror's head. The dagger-wielding Dwargar was no novice to battle. His attacks came in measured thrusts, forcing Belwar, wielding heavier weapons, to take the initiative. Deep gnomes hated Dwargars as profoundly as Dwargar hated deep gnomes, but Belwar was no fool. His pickaxe waved about only to keep his opponent at bay, while his hammer hand remained cocked and ready. Thus the two sparred without gain for several moments, both content to let the other make the first error. When the hook horror cried out in pain and would drizzed out of sight, Belwar was forced to act. He stumbled forward, feigning a trip, and lurched ahead with his hammer hand as his pickaxe dipped low. The Duergar recognized the ploy, but could not ignore the obvious opening in the Swift Nebla's defense. The dagger came in over the pickaxe, diving straight at Belwar's throat. The burrow worn threw himself backward with equal speed and lifted a leg as he went, his boot clipping the Duergar's chin. The Grey Dwarf kept coming, though, diving down atop the falling Deep Gnome, his dagger point leading the way. Belwar got his pickaxe up only a split second before the jagged weapon found his throat. The Burl Ward managed to move the Dwargar's arm out wide, but the Grey Dwarf's considerable weight pressed them together, their faces barely an inch apart. Gotcha now, the Dwargar cried. 
Got this, Bower snarled back, and he freed up his hammer hand, enough to launch a short but heavy punch into the Dwargar's ribs. The Dwargar slammed his forehead into Bower's face, and Bower bit him on the nose in response. The two rolled about, spitting and snarling, and using whatever weapons they could find. By the sound of ringing blades, any observers outside Drid's darkness globe would have sworn that a dozen warriors battled within. The frenzied tempo of swordplay was solely the doing of Drizzt Warden. In such a situation, fighting blindly, the drow reasoned that the best battle method would be to keep all the blades as far away from his body as possible. His scimitars charged out relentlessly and in perfect harmony, pressing the two gray dwarves back on their heels. Each arm worked its own opponent, keeping the gray dwarves rooted in place squarely in front of Drizzt. If one of his enemies managed to get around to his side, the drow knew he would be in serious trouble. Each scimitar swipe brought a ring of metal, and each passing second gave Driz more understanding of his opponent's abilities and attack strategies. Out in the Underdark, Driz had fought blindly many times, once even donning a hood against the basilisk he'd met. Overwhelmed by the sheer speed of the drow's attacks, the Jorgar could only work their swords back and forth and hope that a scimitar didn't slide through. The blades sang and rang as the two Dwargar frantically parried and dodged. Then came a sound that Driz had hoped for, the sound of a scimitar digging into flesh. A moment later, one sword clanged to the stone, and its wounded wielder made the fatal mistake of crying out in pain. Driz's hunter self rose to the surface at that moment and focused on that cry, and his scimitar shot straight ahead, smashing into the gray dwarf's teeth and on through the back of its head. The hunter turned on the remaining Dwargar in fury. Around and around his blades spun in swirling circular motions. Around and around, then one shot out in a sudden straightforward thrust, too quickly for a blocking response. It caught the Dwargar in the shoulder, gashing a deep wound. Give! Give! The Grey Dwarf cried, not desiring the same fate as its companion. Drizzt heard another sword drop to the floor. Please, Drow Elf! At the Dwargar's words, the Drow buried his instinctive urges. I accept your surrender, Driz replied, and he moved close to his opponent, putting the tip of his scimitar to the great dwarf's chest. Together, they walked out of the area darkened by Driz's spell. Searing agony ripped through Clacker's head, every blow sending waves of pain. The hook horror gurgled out an animal's growl and exploded into furious motion, heaving up from the crushed Dwargar and spinning over at the newest foes. A Dwargar club smashed in again, but Clacker was beyond any sensation of pain. A heavy claw bashed through the purple outline through the invisible Dwargar's skull. The gray dwarf came back into view suddenly, the concentration needing to maintain a state of visibility stolen by death, the greatest thief of all. The remaining Dwargar turned to flee, but the enraged hook whore moved faster. Clacker caught the gray dwarf in a claw and hoisted him into the air. Screeching like a frenzied bird, the hook whore hurled the unseen opponent into the wall. The Dwargar came back in his sight, broken and crumbled at the base of the stone wall. No opponent stood to face the hook whore, but Clacker's savage hunger was far from satiated. Drizzt and the wounded Dwargar emerged from the darkness then, and the hook whore barreled in. With the specter of Belwer's combat taking his attention, Drizzt watched his prisoner's head go flying back into the globe of darkness. Clacker! The drow screamed in protest. Then Drizzt ducked and dived backward for his own life as the other claw came viciously swinging across. Spotting new prey nearby, the hook horror didn't follow the drow into the globe. 
Balwar and the dagger-wielding Drogar were too engaged in their own struggles to notice the approaching crazed giant. Clacker bent low, collected the prone combatants in his huge arms, and heaved them both straight up into the air. The Dwargar had the misfortune of coming down first, and Clacker promptly batted it across the chamber. Belwar would have found a similar fate, but crossed scimitars intercepted the hook's horror's next blow. The giant's strength slid Driz back several feet, but the parry softened the blow enough for Belwar to fall by. Still, the Burrow Warden crashed heavily into the floor and spent a long moment too dazed to react. Clacker! Driz again cried. A giant foot came up with the obvious intent of squashing Belwar flat. Needing all of his speed and agility, Driz dived around to the back of the hook horror, dropped to the floor, and went for Clacker's knees, as he had in their first encounter. Trying to stomp on the prone swift Neblin, Clacker was already a bit off balance, and Drizzly easily tripped him into the stone. In the blink of an eye, the draw warrior sprang atop the monster's chest and slipped a scimitar tip between the armored folds of Clacker's neck. Driz dodged a clumsy swing as Clacker continued to struggle. The drow hated what he had to do, but then the hook horror calmed suddenly and looked up at him with sincere understanding. Do it, came a garbled demand. Drizzed, horrified, glanced over to Belwar for support. Back on his feet, the burl warden just looked away. Clacker, Drizzt asked the hookor. Are you Clacker once again? The monster hesitated. Then the beaked head nodded slightly. Drizzt sprang away and looked at the carnage in the chamber. Let us leave, he said. Clacker remained prone and a moment longer, considering the grim implications of his reprieve. With the battle's conclusion, the hookor's side backed out of its full control of Clacker's consciousness. Those savage instincts lurked, Clacker knew, not far from the surface, waiting for another opportunity to find a firm hold. How many times would the faltering peck's side be able to fight against those instincts? Clacker slammed the stone, a mighty blow that sent cracks running through the chamber's floor. With great effort, the weary giant climbed to his feet. In his embarrassment, Clacker didn't look at his companions, but just stormed away down the tunnel each banging footstep falling like a hammer on a nail in Driz Dorden's heart. Perhaps you should have finished it, Dark Elf, Power suggested, moving beside his drow friend. He saved my life in the Illithid Cavern, Driz retorted sharply, and has been a loyal friend. He tried to kill me and you, the deep gnome said grimly. Maga Kamara. I am his friend, Driz growled, grabbing the swift Neblin's shoulder. You asked me to kill him? I ask you to act as his friend, retorted Belwer, and he pulled free of the grasp and started away down the tunnel after Clacker. Driz grabbed the Burl Warden's shoulder again and roughly spun him around. It will only get worse, Dark Elf, Belwer said calmly into Driz's grimace. A firmer hold does the wizard's spell gain with every passing day. Clacker will try to kill us again, I fear, and if he succeeds... The realization of the act will destroy him more fully than your blades ever could. I cannot kill him, Triss said, and he was no longer angry, nor can you. Then we must leave him, the deep gnome replied. We must let Clacker go, free in the Underdark, to live his life as a hook horror. That surely is what he will become, body and spirit. No! said Trist. We must not leave him. We are his only chance. We must help him. The wizard is dead, Bower reminded him, and the deep gnome turned away and started again after Clacker. 
There are other wizards, Driz replied under his breath, this time making no move to impede the burrow warden. The drow's eyes narrowed and he snapped the scimitars back into their sheaths. Driz knew what he must do. What price is friendship? With Clacker demanded, but he found the thought too disturbing to accept. There were indeed other wizards in the Underdark, but chance meetings were far from common, and wizards capable of dispelling Clacker's polymorph state would be fewer still. Driz knew where such wizards could be found, though. The thought of returning to his homeland haunted Driz with every step he and his companions took that day. Having viewed the consequences of his decision to leave Menzabaranzan, Driz never wanted to see the place again, never wanted to look upon the dark world that had so damned him. But if he chose now not to return, Driz knew that he would soon witness a more wicked sight than Menzabaranzan. He would watch Clacker, a friend who had saved him from certain death, degenerate fully into a hook horror. Bellwer had suggested abandoning Clacker, and that course seemed preferable to the battle that Driz and the Deep Gnome surely must fight if they were near Clacker when the degeneration became complete. Even if Clacker were far removed, though, Driz knew that he would witness the degeneration. His thoughts would stay on Clacker, the friend he abandoned for the rest of his days, just one more pain for the tormented drow. In all the world, Driz could think of nothing he desired less than viewing the sights of Menzabaranzan or conversing with his former people. Given the choice, he would prefer death over returning to the drow city. But the choice was not so simple. It hinged on more than Driz's personal desires. He had founded his life on principles. Those principles now demanded loyalty. They demanded that he put Clacker's needs above his own desires because Clacker had befriended him and because the concept of true friendship far outweighed personal desires. Later on, when the friends had set camp for a short rest, Belwer noticed that Driz had engaged in some inner conflict. Leaving Clacker, who once again was tap tapping at the stone wall, the swift nebula moved cautiously by the drow's side. Belwer cocked his head curiously. What are you thinking, Dark Elf? Driz, too caught up in his emotional turbulence, did not return Belwer's gaze. My homeland boasts a school of wizardry, Driz replied with steadfast determination. At first, the Burrow Warden didn't understand what Driz hinted at, but then, when Driz glanced over to Clacker, Belwer realized the implications of Driz's simple statement. Menzel Baranzen? the Swift Nebulin cried. You would return there, hoping that some dark elf wizard would show mercy upon our peck friend? I would return there because Clacker has no other chance, Drizzt retorted angrily. Then no chance at all as Clacker, Belwer roared. Maga Kamara, Dark Elf! Menzelbranza will not be so quick to welcome you! Perhaps your pessimism will prove valid, said Drizzt. Dark Elves are not moved by mercy, I agree, but there may be other options. You are hunted, Belwer said. His tone showed that he hoped his simple words would shake some sense into his drow companion. By matron malice, Drizzt retorted. Menzabranzan is a large place, my little friend, and loyalties to my mother will play no part in any encounter we find beyond those with my own family. I assure you that I have no plans to meet anyone from my own family. And what, Dark Elf, might we offer in exchange for dispelling Clacker's curse? Bower replied sarcastically. What have we to offer that any Dark Elf wizard of Menzabranzan would value? Drizzt's reply started with a blurring cut of a scimitar was heightened by a familiar simmering fire in the drow's lavender eyes, and ended with a simple statement that even stubborn Belwer could not find the words to refute. The wizard's life.
Chapter 23, Ripples Matron Banray took a long and careful scan of Malice to Orden. Measuring how greatly the trials of Zincarla had weighed on the matron mother, deep lines of worry creased Malice's once smooth face and her stark white hair, which had been the envy of her generation, was, for one of the very few times in five centuries, frazzled and unkempt. Most striking, though, were Malice's eyes. Once radiant and alert, but now dark with weariness and sunken in the sockets of her dark skin. That Nathian almost had him, Malice explained, her voice an uncharacteristic whine. Drizzt was in his grasp, and yet somehow my son managed to escape. But the spirit wraith is close on his trail again, Malice quickly added, seeing Matron Banray's disapproving frown. In addition to being the most powerful figure in all of Benzelbranzen, the withered matron mother of House Banray was considered Loth's personal representative in the city. Matron Banray's approval was Loth's approval, and by the same logic, matron Banray's disapproval most often spelled disaster for a house. Zinkala requires patience, matron Malice, matron Banray said calmly. It has been so long. Malice relaxed a bit until she looked again at her surroundings. She hated the chapel of House Banray, so huge and demeaning. The entire Dwarden complex could fit within this single chamber, and if Malice's family and soldiers were multiplied ten times over, they still would not feel the rows of benches. Directly above the central altar, directly above Matron Malice, loomed the illusionary image of the gigantic spider shifting into the form of a beautiful drow female, then back again into an arachnid. Sitting here alone with Matron Banray under the overpowering image made Malice feel even more insignificant. Matron Banray had sensed her guest's uneasiness and moved to comfort her. You have been given a great gift, she said sincerely. The spider queen would not bestow Zinkala and would not have accepted the sacrifice of Sagnifeonet and Matron Mother if she did not Approve of your methods and your intent. It is a trial, Malice replied offhandedly. A trial you will not fail, Matron Banry retorted. And then the glories you will know, Matron Malice Dorden. When the spirit wraith of he who Zagnafian has completed his task, and your renegade son is dead, you will sit in honor on the ruling council. Many years, I promise you, will pass before any house will dare to threaten House Dorden. The Spider Queen will shine her favor upon you for the proper completion of Zinkala. She will hold your house in the highest regard and will defend you against rivals. What if Zinkala fails? Malice dared to ask. Let us suppose... Her voice trailed away as Matron Banra's eyes widened in shock. Speak not the words, Banra scolded, and think not of such impossibilities. You grow distracted by fear, and that alone will spare your doom. Tinkala is an exercise of willpower and a test of your devotion to the Spider Queen. The spirit's wraith is an extension of your faith and your strength. If you falter in your trust, then the spirit of Zagnafian will falter in his quest. 
I will not falter, Malice roared, her hands clenched around the armrests of her chair. I accept the responsibility of my son's sacrilege, and with loth's help and blessings, I will enact the appropriate punishment upon Drizzt. Matron Bainry relaxed back in her seat and nodded her approval. She had to support Malice in this endeavor by the command of Loth, and she knew enough of Zinkala to understand that confidence and determination were two of the primary ingredients for success. The matron mother involved in Zinkala had to proclaim her trust in Loth and her desire to please Loth often and sincerely. Now, though, Malice had another problem, a distraction she could ill afford. She had come to House Banray of her own volition, seeking aid. Do not this another matter, Matron Banray prompted, fast growing tired of the meeting. I am vulnerable, Malice explained. Sincala steals my energy and attention. I fear that another house may seize the opportunity. No house has ever attacked a Matron Mother in the throes of Sincala, Matron Banray pointed out, and Malice realized that the withered old drow spoke from experience. Sincala is a rare gift, Malice replied given to powerful matrons of powerful houses, almost assuredly in the highest favor of the Spider Queen. Who would attack under such circumstances? But House Dord and is far different. We have just suffered the consequences of war. Even with the addition of some of House Hunet's soldiers, we are crippled. It is well known that I have not yet regained Loth's favor, but that my house is eighth in the city, putting me on the ruling council— an enviable position. Your fears are misplaced, Matron Banray assured her, but Malice lumped back in frustration in spite of the words. Matron Banray shook her head helplessly. I see that my words alone cannot soothe. Your attention must be on Zinkala. Understand that, Malice Dorden. You have no time for such petty worries. They remain, said Malice. Then I will end them, offered Matron Benray. Return to your house now in the company of two hundred Benray soldiers. The numbers will secure your battlements, and my soldiers shall wear your house emblem of Benray. None in the city will dare to strike with such allies. A wide smile rolled across Malice's face, a grin that diminished a few of those worry lines. She accepted Matron Banray's generous gift as a signal that perhaps Loth still did favor House Dorden. Go back to your home and concentrate on the task in hand, Matron Banray continued. Zagnafian must find Drizzt again and kill him. That is the deal you offered the Spider Queen. But fear not for the spirit race's last failure or the last time. A few days or ten days is not very long in Loth's eyes. The proper conclusion of Zinkala is all that matters. You will arrange for my escort? Mouse asked, rising from her chair. It is already waiting, Matron Ben reassured her. Malice walked down from the raised central dais and out through the many rows of the giant chapel. The huge room was dimly lit, and Malice could barely see as she exited another figure moving toward the central dais in the opposite direction. She assumed it to be Matron Banray's companion, Illithid, a common figure in the great chapel. If Malice had known that Matron Banray's mind flayer had left the city on some private business in the west, she may have paid more heed to the distant figure. Her worry lines would have increased tenfold. 
Pitiful, John Laxell remarked as he ascended to sit beside Merchant Benry. This is not the same Merchant Man of Durden that I knew only a few short months ago. Zinkala is not cheaply given, Merchant Benry replied. The toll is great, John Laxell agreed. He looked straight at Matron Banray, reading her eyes as well as her forthcoming reply. Will she fail? Matron Banray chuckled loud, a laugh that sounded more like a wheeze. <laughs> Even the Spider Queen could only guess at the answer. My, our soldiers should lend Matron Malice enough comfort to complete the task. That is my hope, at least. Maris Dorden once was in Lolf's highest regard, you know. Her seat on the ruling council was demanded by the Spider Queen. Events do seem to lead to the completion of Loth's will, John Axel snickered, remembering the battle between House de Warden and House Honet, in which Brigandareth had played the pivotal role. The consequences of that victory, the elimination of House Honet, had put House de Warden in the city's eighth position, and thus had placed Major Malice on the ruling council. Fortune smile on the favored, Major Banry remarked. Jarlaxle's grin was replaced by a suddenly serious look. And now, Malice, Matron Malice, he quickly corrected, seeing Banry's immediate glower. Now in the Spider Queen's favor, will fortune smile on House Dorden? The gift of Zinkala removed both favor and disfavor, I would assume, Matron Banry explained. Matron Malice's fortunes are her and her spirit wraith to determine. Or for her son, this infamous Drizdorn, to destroy. Jalaxa completed. Is this young warrior so powerful? Why has Loth not simply crushed him? He has forsaken the Spider Queen, Benry replied, fully and with all his heart. Loth has no power over Drizzt, and has determined him to be Major Malice's problems. A rather large problem, it would seem, Jalaxa chuckled with a quick shake of his bald head. The mercenary noticed immediately that Major Benry did not share his mirth. Indeed. She replied somberly, and her voice trailed off on the word as she sank back for some private thoughts. She knew the dangers and the possible profits of Zincarla better than anyone in the city. Twice before Matron Banray had asked for the Spider Queen's greatest gift, and twice before she had seen Zincarla through to successful completion. With the unrivaled grandeur of House Banray all about her, Matron Banray could not forget the gains of Zincarla's success. But every time she saw her with a reflection in a pool or a mirror, she was vividly reminded of the heavy price. Jalaxel did not intrude on the matron mother's reflections. The mercenary contemplated on his own at that moment. In a time of trial and confusion such as this, a skilled opportunist would find only gain. By Jalaxel's reasoning, Brigandareth could only profit from the granting of Zincala to matron Malice. If Malice proved successful and reinforced his seat on the ruling council, Jalaxel would have another very powerful ally within the city. If the spirit wraith failed to the ruin of House de Warden, the price on this young Driz's head certainly would escalate to a level that might tempt the mercenary band. As she had on her journey to the first house of the city, Malice imagined ambitious gazes following her return through the winding streets of Menza Baranzan. Matron Banry had been quite generous and gracious, accepting the premise that the withered old matron mother was indeed Loth's voice in the city. Malice could barely contain her smile. Undeniably, though, the fear still remained. 
How readily would Matron Banry come to Malice's aid if Driz continued to elude Zagnafian, if Zincarla ultimately failed? Malice's position on the ruling council would be tenuous then, as would the continued existence of House de Orden. The caravan passed House Febranche, ninth house of the city and most probably the greatest threat to the weakened House de Orden. Matron Halavin Febranche was no doubt watching the procession behind her adamantine gates watching the matron mother who now held the coveted eighth seat on the ruling council. Malice looked at Dinan, and the ten soldiers of House de Warden walked by her side as she sat atop the floating magical disc. She let her gaze wander to the two hundred soldiers, warriors openly bearing the proud emblem of House Banray, marching with disciplined precision behind her modest troop. What must matron Hellav and Faye Branch be thinking at such a sight, wondered Malice. She could not contain her ensuing smile. Our greatest glories are soon to come, Malice assured her warrior son. Dinan nodded and returned the wide smile, wisely not daring to steal any of the joy from his volatile mother. Privately, though, Dinan couldn't ignore his disturbing suspicions that many of the Banray soldiers, drow warriors he had never had the occasion to meet before, looked vaguely familiar. One of them even shot a sly wink at the elder boy of House de Orden. Jalaxel's magical whistle being blown on the balcony of House de Orden came vividly to Dinan's mind. Chapter 24 Faith Drizzt and Belwar did not have to remind each other of the significance of the green glow that appeared far ahead up the tunnel. Together they quickened their pace to catch up with and warn Clacker, who continued his approach at strides quickened by curiosity. The hook horror always led the party now. Clacker simply had become too dangerous for Drizzt and Belwar to allow him to walk behind. Clacker turned abruptly at their sudden approach, waved a claw menacingly, and hissed. Peck, Belwar whispered, speaking the word he had been using to strike a recollection in his friend's fast-fading consciousness. The troop had turned back toward the east, toward Menzel Baranz, and as soon as Drizzt had convinced the Burrow Warden of his determination to aid Clacker, Belwar, having no other options, had finally agreed with the drow's plan as Clacker's only hope. But though they had turned immediately and had quickened their march, both now feared that they would not arrive in time. The transformation in Clacker had been dramatic since their confrontation with the Dwergar. The car could barely speak and often turned threateningly on his friends. "'Peck,' Bower said again as he and Drizzt neared the anxious monster. The hook horror paused confused. Peck! Belwar growled a third time, and he tapped his hammer hand against the stone wall, as if a light of recognition had suddenly gone on within the turmoil that was his consciousness. Clacker relaxed and dropped his heavy arms to his sides. Belwar and Drizzt looked past the Hakor to the green glow and exchanged concerned glances. They had committed themselves fully to this course and had little choice in their actions now, Corby's live in the chamber beyond, Driz began quietly, speaking each word slowly and distinctly to ensure that Clacker understood. We have to get directly across and out the other side swiftly, for if we hope to avoid a battle, we have no time for delays. Take care in your steps. The only walkways are narrow and treacherous. Clack! The Hokora stammered futilely. Clacker, Bauer offered. Clacker stopped suddenly and threw a claw out in the direction of the green glowing chamber. Clacker lead? Drizzt said, unable to bear the Hokora's struggling. 
Clacker lead, Driz said again, seeing the great head bobbing in accord. Belwar didn't seem so sure of the wisdom of that suggestion. We have fought the birdmen before and have seen their tricks, the Swerf Nebulon reasoned. But Clacker has not. The sheer bulk of the Hukor should deter them, Drizzt argued. Clacker's mere presence may allow us to avoid a fight. Not against the Corby's Dark Elf, said the Burrow Warden. They will attack anything without fear. You witnessed their frenzy, their disregard for their own lives. Even your panther did not deter them. Perhaps you are right, Drizzt agreed. But even if the Corbys do attack, what weapons do they possess that could defeat a Hokor's armor? What defense could the birdmen offer against Clacker's great claws? Our giant friend will sweep them aside. You forget the stone riders up above, the bro warden pointedly reminded him. They will be quick to take a ledge down and take Clacker with it. Clacker turned away from the conversation, stared into the stone of the walls in a futile effort to recapture a portion of his former self. He felt a slight urge to begin tap tapping on the stone, but it was no greater than his continuing urge to smash a claw into the face of either the swift Neblin or the drow. I will deal with any Corbys waiting above the ledges, Tris replied. You just follow Clacker across, a dozen paces behind. Bower glanced over and noticed the mounting tension in the hook horror. The Burrow Warden realized that they could not afford any delay, so he shrugged and pushed Clacker off, motioning down the passage toward the green glow. Clacker started away, and Drizzt and Belwar fell into step behind. The panther? Belwar whispered to Drizzt as they rounded the last bend in the tunnel. Drizzt shook his head briskly, and Belwar, remembering Guinevar's last painful episode in the Corby chamber, did not question him further. Drizzt patted the deep gnome on the shoulder for luck, then moved up past Clacker and was the first to enter the quiet chamber. With a few simple motions, the drow stepped into a levitation spell and floated silently up. Clacker, amazed by the strange place with a glowing lake of acid below him, hardly noticed Drid's movements. The hook horror stood perfectly still, glancing all about the chamber and using his keen sense of hearing to locate any possible enemies. Move, Bellwer whispered behind him. Delay will bring disaster. Clacker started out tentatively then picked up speed as he gained confidence in the strength of the narrow, unsupported walkway. He took the straightest course he could discern, though even this meandered about before it reached the exiting archway opposite the one they had entered. "'Do you see anything, Dark Elf?' Bower called out as loudly as he dared a few uneventful moments later. Clacker had passed the midpoint of the chamber without incident, and the Burrow Warden could not contain his mounting anxiety. No Corbys had shown themselves. Not a sound had been made beyond the heavy thumping of Clacker's feet and the shuffling of Belwer's worn boots. Driz floated back down to the ledge, far behind his companions. Nothing, he replied. The drow shared Belwer's suspicions that no dire Corbys were about. The hush of the acid-filled cavern was absolute and unnerving. Driz ran out toward the center of the chamber, then lifted off again in his levitation, trying to get a better angle on all of the walls. "'What do you see?' Bower asked him a moment later. Driz looked down at the Burrow Ward and shrugged. "'Nothing at all.' "'Maga Kamara!' grumbled Bower, almost wishing that a Corby would step out and attack. Clacker had nearly reached the targeted exit by this time, though Bower, in his conversation with Driz, had lagged behind and remained near the center of the huge room. When the Burrow Warden finally turned back to the path ahead, the hook horror had disappeared under the arch of the exit. "'Anything?' Bower called out to both of his companions. Driz shook his head and continued to rise. He rotated slowly about, scanning the walls, unable to believe that no Corbys lurked in ambush. Bower looked back to the exit. 
We must have chased them out, he murdered to himself in spite of his words. The borough warden knew better. When he and Drizzt had taken flight from this room a couple of ten days before, they had left several dozen of the birdmen behind them. Certainly the toll of the few dead corbies would not have chased away the rest of the fearless clan. For some unknown reason, no corbies had come out to stand against them. Belwar started off at a quick pace, thinking it best not to question their good fortune. He was about to call out to Clacker, to confirm that the Hukor had indeed moved to safety, when a sharp, terror-filled squeal rolled out from the exit, followed by a heavy crash. A moment later, Belwar and Drizzt had their answers. The spirit wraith of Zagnathian de Warden stepped under the arch and out into the ledge. Dark Elf! the bro warden called sharply. Driz had already seen the spirit wraith and was descending as rapidly as he could toward the walkway near the middle of the chamber. Clocker! Belwer called, but he expected no answer and received none. From the shadows beyond the archway, the spirit wraith steadily advanced. You murderous beast! the bird warden cursed, setting his feet wide apart and slamming his mithril hands together. Come out and get your due! Belwer fell into his chant to empower his hands, but Driz interrupted him. No! the drow cried out above. Sacknafian is here for me, not you. Move out of his way. Was he here for Clacker? Bower yelled back. A murderous beast he is, and I have a score to settle. You do not know that, Driz replied, increasing his descent as fast as he dared to catch up to the fearless burrow warden. Driz knew that Sacknafian would get to Bower first, and he could guess easily enough the grim consequences. Trust me now, I beg, Driz repeated. This drow warrior is far beyond your abilities. Belwar banged his hands together, but he could not honestly refute Driz's words. Belwar had seen Zagnafian in battle only that one time in the Illithid Cavern, but that monster's blurring movements had stolen his breath. The deep gnome backed away a few steps and turned down a side walkway, seeking another route to the arched exit so that he might learn Clacker's fate. With Driz so plainly in sight, the spirit wraith paid the little swift Neblin no heed. Zacnathian charged right past the sidewalkway and continued on to fulfill the purpose of his existence. Belwar thought to pursue the strange drow, so closed from behind and helped Driz in the battle, but another cry issued from under the archway, a cry so pain-filled and pitiful that the Burrow Warden could not ignore it. He stopped as soon as he got back on the main walkway, then looked both ways, torn in his loyalties. Go, Driz shouted at him. See to Clacker. This is Zacnathian, my father. Driz noticed a slight hesitation in the spirit wraith's charge at the mention of those words, a hesitation that brought Driz a flicker of understanding. Your father, Maga Kamara, Dark Elf, Belwer protested. Back in the Illithid Cavern, I am safe enough, Driz interjected. Belwer did not believe that Driz was safe at all, but against the protests of his own stubborn pride, the Bro Warden realized that the battle that was about to begin was far beyond his abilities. He would be of little help against this mighty dwarf warrior, and his presence in the battle might actually prove detrimental to his friend. Driz would have a difficult time without worrying about Bower's safety. Bower banged his mithril hands together in frustration and rushed toward the archway and the continuing moans of his fallen hook horror companion. Matron Malice's eyes widened, and she uttered a sound so primal that her daughters, gathered by her side in the anteroom, knew immediately that the spirit wraith had found Drizzt. Brisa glanced over at the younger Duarden priestesses and dismissed them. Maya obeyed immediately, but Vierna hesitated. Go! Brisa snarled, one hand dropping to the snake-headed whip at her belt. Now! 
Verna looked to her matron mother for support, but Malice was quite lost in the spectacle of the distant events. This was the moment of triumph for Zenkarla and for matron Malice de Horden. She would not be distracted by the petty squabbling of her inferiors. Brisa was alone with her mother, standing behind the throne and studying Malice as intently as Malice watched Zaknafian. As soon as he entered the small chamber beyond the archway, Belwar knew that Clacker was dead, or soon would be. The giant hook horror body lay on the floor, bleeding from a single but wickedly precise wound across the neck. Belwar began to turn away, then realized that he owed comfort at least to his fallen friend. He dropped to one knee and forced himself to watch as Clacker went into a series of violent convulsions. Death terminated the polymorph spell, and Clacker gradually reverted to his former self. The huge, clawed arms trembled and jerked, twisted and popped into the long and spindly yellow-skinned arms of a peck. Hair sprouted through the cracking armor of Clacker's head, and the great beak split apart and dissipated. The massive chest, too, fell away, and the whole body compacted with a grinding sound that sent shivers up and down the hardy bro-warden's spine. The hook horror was no more, and in death, Clacker was as he had been. He was a bit smaller than Belwer, though not nearly as wide, and his features were broad and strange, with pupilless eyes and a flattened nose. "'What was your name, my friend?' the borough warden whispered, though he knew that Clacker would never answer. He bent down and lifted the peck's head in his arms, taking some comfort in the peace that finally had come to the tormented creature's face." "'Who are you that takes the guise of my father?' Driz asked as the spirit wraith stalked across the last few paces. Zaknafian's smile was indecipherable, and his response came more clearly in the hacking slice of a sword. Driz parried the attack and jumped back. "'Who are you?' he demanded again. "'You are not my father!' A wide smile spread over the spirit wraith's face. "'No,' Zaknafian replied in a shaky voice, an answer that was inspired from an anteroom many miles away. "'I... Am your mother. The swords came on again in a blinding fury. Drizzt, confused by the response, met the charge with equal ferocity, and the many sudden hits of sword and scimitar sounded like a single ring. Brisa watched her mother's every movement. Sweat poured down Malice's brow, and her clenched fists pounded on the arms of her stone throne, even after they had begun to bleed. Malice had hoped that it would be like this, that the final moment of her triumph would shine clearly in her thoughts from across the miles. She heard Driz's every frantic word and felt his distress so very keenly. Never had Malice known such pleasure. Then she felt a slight twinge as Zaknafian's consciousness struggled against her control. Malice pushed Zaknafian aside with a guttural sound. His animated corpse was her tool. Brisa noted her mother's sudden snarl with more than a passing interest. Driz knew beyond any doubts that this was not Zaknafian Dorden who stood before him, yet he could not deny the unique fighting style with his former mentor. Zaknafian was in there, somewhere, and Driz would have to reach him if he hoped to get any answers. The battle quickly settled into a comfortable, measured rhythm. Both opponents launching cautious attack routines and paying careful attention to their tenuous footing on the narrow walkway. Belwer entered the room then, bearing Clacker's broken body. Kill him, Drizzt! The borough warden cried. Maga! Belwer stopped and was afraid when he witnessed the battle. Drizzt and Zaknafian seemed to intertwine, their weapons spinning and darting, only to be parried away. 
They seemed as one. These two dark elves that Bower had considered distinctly different, and that notion unnerved the deep gnome. When the next break came in the struggle, Drizzt glanced over to the burrow warden, and his gaze locked on the dead peck. Damn you, he spat, and he rushed back in, scimitars diving and chopping at the monster who had murdered Clacker. The spirit wraith parried the foolishly bold assault easily and worked Drizzt's blades up high, rocking Drizzt back on his heels. This, too, seemed so very familiar to the young drow, a fighting approach that Zachnafian had used against him many times in their sparring matches back in Menzel Baranzen. Zachnafian would force Drizzt high, then come in suddenly low with both of his swords. In their early contests, Zachnafian had defeated Drizzt with this maneuver, the double thrust low. But in their last encounter in the drow city, Drizzt had found the answering parry and had turned the attack against his mentor. Now, Drizzt wondered if this opponent would follow through with the unexpected attack routine, and he wondered, too, how Zachnafian would react to his counter. Were any of Zack's memories within the monster he now faced? Still, the spirit wraith kept Driz's blades working defensively high. Zachnafian then took a quick step back and came in low with both blades. Driz dropped the scimitars into a downward X, the appropriate cross-down parry that pinned the attacking swords low. Driz kicked his foot up between the hilts of his blades and straight at his opponent's face. The spirit wraith somehow anticipated the countering attack and was out of reach before the boot could connect. Driz believed that he had an answer, for only Zachnafian de Warden could have known. You are Zachnafian, he cried. What has Malice done to you? The spirit wraith's hands trembled visibly in their hold on the swords, and his mouth twisted as though he was trying to say something. No! Malice screamed, and she violently tore back the control of her monster, walking the delicate and dangerous line between Zachnafian's physical abilities and the consciousness of the being he once had been. "'You're mine, Wraith!' Malice bellowed. "'And by the will of Loth, you shall complete the task!' Driz saw the sudden regression of the murderous spirit Wraith. Zachnafian's hands no longer trembled and his mouth locked into a thin and determined grimace once again. "'What is it, Dark Elf?' Belwer demanded, confused by the strange encounter. Driz noticed that the deep gnome had placed Clacker's body on a ledge and was steadily approaching. Sparks flew from Belwer's mithril hands whenever they bumped together. Stay back, Driz called to him. The presence of an unknown enemy could ruin the plans that were beginning to formulate in Driz's mind. It is Zachnathian, he tried to explain to Belwer, or at least part of it is. In a voice too low for the borough warden to hear, Driz added, And I believe I know how to get to that part. Driz came on in a flurry of measured attacks that he knew Zachnafian could easily deflect. He did not want to destroy his opponent, but rather he sought to inspire other memories of fighting routines that would be familiar to Zachnafian. He put Zachnafian through the pace of a typical training session, talking all the while in the same way that he and the weapon master used to talk back in Menzo Baranzen. Malice's spirit wraith countered Driz's familiarity with savagery and matched Driz's friendly words with animal-like snarls. If Driz thought he could lull his opponent with complacency, he was badly mistaken. Swords rushed in at Driz inside and out, seeking a hole in his expert defenses. Scimitars matched their speed and precision, catching and stopping each arcing cut and deflecting every straightforward thrust harmlessly wide. A sword slipped through and nicked Drizzt in the ribs. His fine armor held back the weapon's razor edge, but the weight of the blow would leave a deep bruise. Rocked back on his heels, Drizzt saw that his plan would not be so easily executed. 
You are my father, he shouted at the monster. Matron Malice is your enemy, not I. The spirit wraith mocked the words with an evil laugh and came on wildly. From the very beginning of the battle, Drizzt had feared this moment, but now he stubbornly reminded himself that this was not really his father that stood before him. Zagdafian's careless offensive charge inevitably left gaps in his defenses, and Drizzt found them once and then again with his scimitars. One blade gashed a hole in the spirit wraith's belly, another slashed deeply near the side of his neck. Zagnafian only laughed again, louder, and came on. Drizzt fought in sheer panic, his confidence faltering. Zagnafian was nearly as equal, and Drizzt's blades barely hurt the thing. Another problem quickly became evident as well, for the time was against Drizzt. He did not know exactly what it was that he faced, but he suspected that it would not tire. Drizzt pressed with all of his skill and speed. Desperation drove him to new heights of swordsmanship. Belwer started out again to join in, but he stopped a moment later, stunned by the display. Drizzt hit Zaknafian several more times, but the spirit wraith seemed not to notice, and as Drizzt stepped up the tempo, the spirit wraith's intensity grew to match his own. Drizzt could hardly believe that this was not Zaknafian Dorden fighting against him. He could recognize the moves of his father and former mentor so very clearly. No other soul could move that perfectly muscled drow body with such precision and skill. Drizzt was backing away again, giving ground and waiting patiently for his opportunities. He reminded himself over and over that it was not Zaknafian that he faced, but some monster created by Matron Malice for the sole purpose of destroying him. Drizzt had to be ready. His only chance of surviving this encounter was to trip his opponent from the ledge. With the spirit wraith fighting so brilliantly, though, that chance seemed remote indeed. The walkway turned slightly around a short bend, and Drizzt felt it carefully with one foot, sliding it along. Then a rock right under Drizzt's foot broke free from the side of the walkway. Drizzt stumbled, and his leg to the knee slipped down beside the bridge. Zaknafian came upon him in a rush. The whirling sword soon had Drizzt down on his back across the walkway, his head hanging precariously over the lake of acid. Drizzt! Belwer screamed. The deep gnome rushed out. Though he could not hope to arrive in time or defeat Drizzt's killer, Drizzt! Perhaps it was that call of Drizzt's name, or maybe it was just the moment of the kill. But the former consciousness of Zaknafian flickered to life in that instant, and the sword arm, readied for a killing plunge that Drizzt could not have deflected, hesitated. Drizzt didn't wait for any explanations. He punched out with a scimitar hilt, then the other, both connecting squarely on Zaknafian's jaw and moving the spirit wraith back. Drizzt was up again, panting and favoring a twisted ankle. Zaknafian! Confused and frustrated by the hesitation, Drizzt screamed at his opponent. Drizzt! The spirit wraith's mouth struggled to reply. Then Malice's monster rushed back in, swords leading. Drizzt defeated the attack and slipped away. He could sense his father's presence. He knew that the true Zaknafian lurked just below the surface of this creature. But how could he free that spirit? Clearly, he could not hope to continue the struggle much longer. It is you, Driz whispered. No one else could fight a Zaknafian in there, and Zaknafian will not kill me. Another thought came to Driz then, a notion he had to believe. Once again, the truth of Driz's convictions became the test. Driz slipped his scimitars back into their sheaths. The spirit wraith snarled. His swords danced about in the air and cut viciously, but Zaknafian did not come on. "'Kill him!' 
Malice squealed in glee, thinking her moment of victory at hand. The images of the combat, though, flitted away from her suddenly, and she was left with only darkness. She had given too much back to Zaknafian when Drizzt had stepped up the temple of the combat. She had been forced to allow more of Zack's consciousness back into her animation, needing all of Zaknafian's fighting skill to defeat her warrior son. Now, Malice was left with blackness and with the weight of impending doom hanging precariously over her head, she glanced back at her too curious daughter, then sank back within her trance, fighting to regain control. Drizzt, Zaknafian said, and the word felt so very good indeed to the animation. Zack's swords went into their sheaths. Though his hands had to struggle against the demands of Matron Malice every inch of the way, Driss started toward him, wanting nothing more than to hug his father and dearest friend, but Zagnathian put out a hand to keep him back. No, the spirit wraith explained. I do not know how long I can resist. The body is hers, I fear, Zagnathian replied. Driss did not understand at first. Then you are... I am dead, Zagnathian stated bluntly. At peace, be assured. Malice has repaired my body for her own vile purposes. But you can... Defeated her, Driz replied, daring to hope. We are together again. A temporary stay and no more. As if to accentuate the point, Zagnafian's left hand involuntarily shot to his sword hilt. He grimaced and snarled and stubbornly fought back, gradually loosening his grip on the weapon. She is coming back, my son. That one is always coming back. I cannot bear to lose you again, Driz said. When I saw you in the Illithid cavern... It was not me that you saw, Zagnafian tried to explain. It was the zombie of Malice's evil will. I am gone, my son. I have been gone for many years. You are here, Triss reasoned. By Malice's will, not my own. Zagnafian growled and his face contorted as he struggled to push Malice away for just a moment longer. Back in control, Zagnafian studied the warrior that his son had become. You fight well, he remarked. Better than I ever imagined. That is good, and it's good that you had the courage to run. Zagnafian's face contorted again, suddenly stealing the words. This time both of his hands went to his swords, and this time both weapons came flashing out. No! Driz pleaded as a mist welled in his lavender eyes. Fight her! I cannot, the spirit wraith replied. Free from this place, Driz, flee to the very... Ends of the world. Malice will never forgive. She will never stop. The spirit wraith leaped forward, and Drizzt had no choice but to draw his weapons. But Zagnafian jerked suddenly before he got within reach of Drizzt. For us! Zack cried in startling clarity, a call that pealed like a trumpet of victory in the green-glowing chamber and echoed across the miles to Matron Malice's heart like the final toll of a drum signaling the onset of doom. Zaknafian had wrested control again, for just a fleeting instant, one that allowed the charging spirit wraith to veer off the walkway. Chapter 25 Consequences Matron Malice could not even scream her denial. A thousand explosions pounded in her brain when Zaknafian went into the acid lake. A thousand realizations of impending and unavoidable disaster. She leaped from her stone throne, her slender hands twisting and clenching in the air as though she were trying to find something tangible to grasp, something that wasn't there. 
Her breath rasped in labored gasps, and wordless snarls issued from her gulping mouth. After a moment in which she could not calm herself, Mal's heard one sound more clearly than the din of her own contortions. Behind her came the slight hiss of the small, wicked snake heads of a high priestess's whip. Malice spun about, and there stood Brisa, her face grimly and determinedly set, and her whip's six living snake heads waving in the air. I had hoped that my time of extension would be many years away, the elder's daughter said calmly. But you are weak, Malice. Too weak to hold House Dorwin together in the trials that will follow our, your failure. Malice wanted to laugh in the face of her daughter's foolishness. Snake-headed whips were personal gifts from the Spider Queen and could not be used against matron mothers. For some reason, though, Malice could not find the courage or conviction to refute her daughter at that moment. She watched, mesmerized, as Brisa's arm slowly reared back and then shot forward. The six snakeheads uncoiled toward Malice. It was impossible. It went against all tenets of Loth's doctrine. The fanged heads came on eagerly and dived into Malice's flesh with all the Spider Queen's fury behind them. Searing agony coursed through Malice's body, jolting and racking her and leaving an icy numbness in its wake. Malice teetered on the brink of consciousness, trying to hold firmly against her daughter, trying to show Brees the futility and stupidity of continuing the attack. The snakehead snapped again and the floor rushed up to swallow Malice. Brisa muttered something. Malice heard some curse or chant to the Spider Queen. Then came a third crack, and Malice knew nothing more. She was dead before the fifth strike, but Brisa pounded on for many minutes, venting her fury to let the Spider Queen be assured that House Dorden truly had forsaken its failing matron mother. By the time Denon unexpectedly and unannounced burst into the room, Brisa had settled comfortably into the stone throne. The elder boy glanced over at his mother's battered body, then back to Brisa, his head shaking in disbelief and a wide, knowing grin splayed across his face. "'What have you done, sis? Matron Brisa?' Denon asked, catching the slip of his tongue before Brisa could react to it. "'Zincala's failed!' Brisa growled as she glared at him. Loth would no longer accept malice. Dinan's laughter, which seemed founded in sarcasm, cut to the marrow of Brisa's bones. Her eyes narrowed further, and she let Dinan see her hand clearly as it moved down the hilt of her whip. You have chosen the perfect moment for ascension, the elder boy explained calmly, apparently not at all worried that Brisa would punish him. We are under attack. Freybranch? Brisa cried, springing excitedly from her seat. Five minutes in the throne room as Major Mother, and already Brisa faced her first test. She would prove herself to the Spider Queen and redeem House Durden from much of the damage that Mouse's failures had caused. No, sister, Dinan said quickly without pretense. Not House Faybranch. Her brother's cool response put Brisa back in the throne and twisted her grin of excitement into a grimace of pure dread. Banre, Dinan, too, no longer smiled. Vinan and Maya looked out from House Dorden's balcony to the approaching forces beyond the adamantite gate. The sisters did not know their enemy as Dinan had, but they understood from the sheer size of the forest that some great house was involved. Still, House Dorden boasted 250 soldiers, many trained by Zaknafin himself, with 200 more well-trained and well-armed troops on loan from Matron Banray. Both Vierna and Maya figured that their chances were not so bad. 
They quickly outlined defense strategies, and Maya swung one leg over the balcony railing, meaning to descend to the courtyard and relay the plans to her captains. Of course, when she and Vienna suddenly realized that they had two hundred enemies already within their gates, enemies they had accepted on loan from Matron Banray, their plans meant little. Maya still straddled the railing when the first Banray soldier came up to the balcony. Vierna drew her whip and cried for Maya to do the same, but Maya was not moving, and Vierna, on closer inspection, noticed several tiny darts protruding from her sister's body. Vierna's own snake-headed whip turned on her then, its fangs slicing across her delicate face. Vierna understood at once that House de Warden's downfall had been decreed by Lolf herself. Sincala, Vierna mumbled, realizing the source of the disaster. Blood blurred her vision, and a wave of dizziness overtook her as darkness closed in all about her. "'This cannot be!' breathed the crowd. "'House Banry attacks! Loth has not given me—' "'We had our chance!' Dinan yelled. "'Zaknafian was our chance!' Dinan looked to his mother's torn body. "'And the wraith had failed, I would assume!' Brisa growled and lashed out with her whip. Dinan expected the strike, though he knew Brisa so very well, and he darted beyond the weapon's range. Brisa took a step toward him. "'Does your anger require more enemies?' Denon asked, swords in hand. "'Go out to the balcony, dear sister, where you will find a thousand waiting for you.' Brisa cried out in frustration, but turned away from Denon and rushed from the room, hoping to salvage something out of this terrible predicament. Denon did not follow. He stooped over Matron Malice and looked one final time into the eyes of the tyrant who had ruled his entire life. Malice had been a powerful figure, confident and wicked, but how fragile her rule had proved— broken by the antics of a renegade child. Dinan heard a commotion out of the corridor. Then the anteroom door swung open again. The elder boy did not have to look to know the enemies were in the room. He continued to stare at his dead mother, knowing that he soon would share the same fate. The expected blow did not fall, however, and several agonizing moments later, Dinan dared to glance back over his shoulder. Jarlaxle sat comfortably on the stone throw. "'You are not surprised!' the mercenary asked, noting that Dinan's expression did not change. Brigand Dareth was among the Banray troops, perhaps all of the Banray troops, Dinan said casually. He covertly glanced around the room at the dozen or so soldiers who had followed Jarlaxle in. If only he could get to the mercenary leader before they killed him, Dinan thought. Watching the death of the treacherous Jarlaxle might bring some measure of satisfaction to this whole disaster. Observant, Jarlaxle said to him. I hold to my suspicions that you knew all along that your house was doomed. If Zincarla failed, Dinan replied. And you knew it would, the mercenary asked, almost rhetorically. Dinan nodded. Ten years ago, he began, wondering why he was telling all this to Jarlaxle. I watched as Zaknafian was sacrificed to the Spider Queen. Rarely has any house in all of Menzelbrandon seen a greater waste. The weapon master of House Orden had a mighty reputation, the mercenary put in. Well earned. Do not doubt, replied Dinan. Then Drizzt, my brother, another mighty warrior. Again, Dinan nodded. Drizzt deserted us with war at our gates. Matron Malice's miscalculation could not be ignored. I knew then that House Orden was doomed. Your house defeated House Hornet. No small feat, reasoned Arlaxel. Only with the help of Brigand Dareth, Denon corrected. For most of my life, I have watched House Dorden, under Matron Malice's steady guidance, ascend through the city hierarchy. Every year, our power and influence grew. For the last decade, though, I have seen a spiral down. I have watched the foundations of House Dorden crumble. The structure had to follow the descent. 
As wise as you are, skilled with the blade, the mercenary remarked. I have said that before of Dinendorden, and it seems that I am proved correct once again. If I have pleased you, I ask one favor, Dinan said, rising to his feet. Grant it, if you will. Kill you quickly and without pain? Jalaxel asked through a widening smile. Dinan nodded for the third time. No, Jalaxel said simply. Not understanding, Dinan brought his sword flashing up and ready. I'll not kill you at all, Jalaxel explained. Dinan kept his sword up high and studied the mercenary's face, looking for some hint as to his intent. I am a noble of the house, Dinan said. A witness to the attack. No house elimination is complete if nobles remain alive. A witness, Jalaxel laughed. Against House Banray? To what gain? Dinan's sword dropped low. Then what is my fate? he asked. Will Matron Banray take me in? Dinan's tone showed that he was not excited about that possibility. Matron Banray has little use for males, Jarlaxel replied. If any of your sisters survive, and I believe the one named Vienna has, they may find themselves in Matron Banray's chapel. But the withered old mother of House Banray could never see the value of a male such as Dinan, I fear. Then what? Dinan demanded. I know your value, Jarlaxel stated casually. He let Dinan's gaze around to the concurring grins of his troops. Brigand death? Dinan balked. Me? A noble? To become a rogue? Quicker than Dinan's eye could follow, Jarlaxel whipped the dagger into the body at his feet. The blade buried itself up to the hilt in Malice's back. A rogue or a corpse, Jarlaxel casually explained. It was not so difficult a choice. A few days later, Jarlaxel and Dinan looked back on the ruined adamantite gate of House Dorden. Once it had stood so proud and strong with its intricate carvings of spiders and the two formidable stalagmite pillars that served as guard towers. How fast it changed, Dinan remarked. I see all my former life before me, yet it is all gone. Forget what has gone before, Jalaxel suggested. The mercenary's sly wink told Dinan that he had something specific in mind as he completed the thought. Except that which may aid in your future. Dinan did a quick visual inspection of himself and the ruins. My battle gear? he asked, fishing for Jarlaxle's intent. My training? Your brother. Drizzed? Again, the cursed name reared up to bring anguish to Dinan. It would seem that there is still the matter of Drizzed Warden to be reconciled, Jarlaxle explained. He's a high prize in the eyes of the Spider Queen. Drizzed? Dinan asked again, hardly believing Jarlaxle's words. Why are you so surprised? Jarlaxle asked. Your brother is still alive. Else why was Matron Malice brought down? What house could be interested in him, Denon asked bluntly. Another mission for Matron Banray? Jalaxa's laugh belittled him. Brigand death may act without the guidance or the purse of a recognized house, he replied. You plan to go after my brother? It may be the perfect opportunity for Denon to show his value to my little family, Jalaxa said, to no one in particular. Who better to catch the renegade that brought down House Dorden? Your brother's value increased many times over with the failure of Zinkala. I have seen what Drizzt has become, said Dinan. The cost will be great. My resources are limitless, Jalaxel answered smoothly. And no cost is too high if the gain is higher. The eccentric mercenary went silent for a short while, allowing Dinan's gaze to linger over the ruins of his once proud house. No, Dinan said suddenly. Jalaxel turned a wary eye on him. I'll not go after Drizzt. Dinan explained. You serve Jalaxel, the master of brigand death, the mercenary calmly reminded him. 
as I once served Malice, the matron of House de Warden, Dinan replied with calm. I would not venture out again after Drizzt for my mother, he looked at Jarlaxle squarely, unafraid of the consequences, and I shall not do it again for you. Jarlaxle spent a long moment studying his companion. Normally the mercenary leader would not tolerate such brazen subordination, but Dinan was sincere and adamant, beyond doubt. Jarlaxle had accepted Dinan into Brigandath because he valued the elder boy's experience and skill. He could not now readily dismiss Dinan's judgment. I could have you put to a slow death, Jarlaxle replied, more to see Dinan's reaction than to make any promises. He had no intention of destroying one as valuable as Dinan. No worse than the death and disgrace I would find at Drizzt's hands, Dinan answered calmly. Another long moment passed as Jarlaxle considered the implications of Dinan's words. Perhaps Brigandath should rethink his plans for hunting the renegade. Perhaps the price would prove too high. Come, my soldier, Jarlaxle said at length. Let us return to our home, to the streets, where we might learn what adventures our futures hold. Chapter 26 Lights in the Ceiling Belwer ran along the walkways to get to his friend. Drizzt did not watch as first Nevlin's approach. He kneeled on the narrow bridge, looking down to the bubbling spot in the green lake where Zeknafian had fallen. The acid sputtered and rolled. The scorched hilt of a sword came up into view, then disappeared under the opaque veil of green. He was there all along, Drizzt whispered to Belwer. My father. A mighty chance you took, Dark Elf, the Burrow Warden replied. Maga Kamara! When you put your blades away, I thought he would surely strike you down. He was there all along, Drizzt said again. He looked up at his first Neblin friend. You showed me that. Balwar screwed up his face in confusion. The spirit cannot be separated from the body, Drizzt tried to explain. Not in life. He looked back to the ripples of the acid lake, and not in death. In my years alone in the wilds, I had lost myself, so I believed. But you showed me the truth. The heart of Drizzt was never gone from this body, and so I knew it to be true with Zaknafian. Other forces were involved this time, remarked Belwer. I would not have been so certain. You did not know Zaknafian, Drizzt retorted. He rose to his feet, the moisture rimming his lavender eyes, diminished by the sincere smile that widened across his face. Spirit, not muscles, guides a warrior's blades, and only he who was truly Zaknafian could move with such grace. The moment of crisis gave Zaknafian the strength to resist my mother's will. And you gave him the moment of crisis, reasoned Belwer. Defeat Matron Malice or kill his own son. Belwer shook his bald head and crinkled up his nose. Maga Kamara, but you are brave, Dark Elf. He shot Drizzt a wink. Or stupid. Neither, replied Drizzt. I only trusted in Zaknafian. He looked back to the acid lake and said no more. Bower fell silent and waited patiently while Drizzt finished his private eulogy. When Drizzt finally looked away from the lake, Bower motioned to the trout to follow and started off along the walkway. Come, the burrow warden said over his shoulder. Witness the truth of our slain friend. Drizzt thought the peck a beautiful thing, a beauty inspired by the peaceful smile that at last found its way onto his tormented friend's face. He and Bower said a few words mumbled a few hopes to whatever gods might be listening, and gave clacker to the acid lake, thinking it a preferable fate to the bellies of the carrion-eaters that roamed the underdark corridors. Drizzt and Belwer set off again, alone, as they had been when they first departed the Swift Neblin city and arrived at Blingdenstone a few days later. 
The guards at the city's mammoth gates, though obviously thrilled, seemed confused at their return. They allowed the two companions' entrance on the bro warden's promise that he would go straight off and inform King Schnicktick. This time I, he will let you stay, Dark Elf, Belwer said to Drizzt. You beat the monster. He left Drizzt at his house, vowing that he would return soon with welcome news. Drizzt wasn't so sure of any of it. Zagnafian's final warning that Matron Malice would never give up her hunt remained clearly in his thoughts, and he could not deny the truth. Much had happened in the ten days that he and Belwer had been out of Blindenstone, but none of it, as far as Driz knew, diminished the very real threat to the Swift Nevelin city. Driz had only agreed to follow Belwer back to Blindenstone because it seemed a proper first step to the plan he had decided upon. How long shall we battle, Matron Malice? Driz asked a blank stone when the bro warden had gone. He needed to hear his reasoning spoken aloud, to convince himself beyond doubt that his decision had been a wise one. Neither gains into the conflict, but that is the way of the drow, is it not? Drizzt fell back into one of the stools beside the little table and considered the truth of his words. You will hunt me, to your ruin or to mine, blinded by the hatred that rules your life. There can be no forgiveness in Renzo Branson. That would go against the edict of your foul spider queen. And this is the underdog your world of shadows and gloom. But it is not all the world, Matron Malice, and I shall see how long your evil arms can reach. Driz sat silent for many minutes. Remembering his first lessons in the Drow Academy, he tried to find some clue that would lead him to believe that the stories of the surface world were no more than lies. The master's deceptions of the Drow Academy had been perfected over centuries and were infallibly complete. Driz soon came to realize that he simply would have to trust his feelings. When Belwer returned, grim-faced, a few hours later, Driz's resolve was firm. Stubborn, orc-brained! The burrow warden gnashed through his teeth as he crossed through the stone door. Driz stopped with a heartfelt laugh. They will not hear of your staying, Belwer yelled at him, trying to steal his mirth. Did you truly expect otherwise? Driz asked. My fight is not over, dear Belwer. Do you believe that my family would be so easily defeated? We will go back out, Belwer growled, moving over to take the stool near Drizzt. My generous, the word dripped of sarcasm. King agreed that you could remain in the city for a ten-day. A single ten-day. When I leave, I leave alone, Drizzt interrupted. He pulled the onyx figurine out of his pouch and reconsidered his words. Almost alone. We had this argument before, Dark Elf, Belwer reminded him. That was different. Was it? retorted the Burrow Warden. Will you survive any better alone in the wilds of the Underdark now that you did before? Have you forgotten the burdens of loneliness? I'll not be in the Underdark, Driz replied. Back to your homeland, you mean to go? Belwer cried, leaping to his feet and sending his stool skidding across the stone. No, never, Driz laughed. Never will I ever return to Menzel Baran's unless it is at the end of Matron Malice's chains. The Burrow Warden retrieved his seat and eased back into it, curious. Neither will I remain in the underdark, Driz explained. This is Malice's world, more fitting to the dark hearts of a true drow. Belwer began to understand, but he couldn't believe what he was hearing. What are you saying? he demanded. Where do you mean to go? The surface, Driz replied evenly. Belwer leaped up again, sending his stone stool bouncing even farther across the floor. I was up there once, Driz continued, undaunted by the reaction. He calmed the swift nebulin with a determined gaze. I partook of a drow massacre. Only the actions of my companions bring pain to my memories of that journey. The sense of the wide world and the cool feel of the wind bring no dread to my heart. The surface, Belwer muttered. 
his head lowered and his voice almost a groan. Maga Kamara! Never did I plan to travel there. It is not the place of a Sferf Nublin. Thelwar pounded the table suddenly and looked up, a determined smile on his face. But if Drizzt will go, then Balor will go by his side. Drizzt will go alone, the drow replied. As you just said, a surface is not the place of a Sferf Neblin. Nor a drow, the deep gnome added pointedly. I do not fit the usual expectations of drow, Drizzt retorted. My heart is not their heart, and their home is not mine. How far must I walk through the endless tunnels to be free of my family's hatred? And if, in fleeing Menzelbranzen, I chance upon another of the dark elf great cities, Chednasad, or some similar place, will those drow too take up the hunt to fulfill the Spider Queen's desires that I be slain? No, Bella. I will find no peace in the close ceilings of this world. You, I fear, would never be content removed from the stone of the Underdark. Your place is here, a place of deserved honor among your people. Bower sat quietly for a long time, digesting all that Drizzt had said. He would follow Drizzt willingly if Drizzt desired it so, but he truly did not wish to leave the Underdark. Bower could raise no argument against Drizzt's desires to go. A dark elf would find many trials up on the surface, Bower knew. But would they outweigh the pains Drizzt would ever experience in the Underdark? Bellwell reached into a deep pocket and took out the light-giving brooch. Take this, dark elf, he said softly, flipping it to Drizzt, and do not forget me. Never for a single day in all the centuries of my future, Drizzt promised. Never once. The ten day passed all too quickly for Bellwell, who was reluctant to see his friend go. The borough warden knew that he would never look upon Drizzt again, but he knew also that Drizzt's decision was a sound one. As a friend, Belwar took it upon himself to see that Drizzt had the best chance of success. He took the drow to the finest provisioners in all of Blinkenstone and paid for the supplies out of his own pocket. Belwar then procured an even greater gift for Drizzt. Deep gnomes had traveled to the surface on occasion, and King Schnicktick possessed several copies of rough maps leading out of the Underdark Tunnels. The journey will take you many ten days, Belwar said to Drizzt when he handed him the roll of parchment. But I fear that never would you find your way at all without this. Drizzt's hands trembled as he unrolled the map. It was true. He now dared to believe. He was indeed going to the surface. He wanted to tell Bower at that moment to come along. How could he say goodbye to so dear a friend? But principles had carried Drizzt this far in his travels, and principles demanded that he not be selfish now. He walked out of Blingenstone the next day promising Belwar that, if he ever came this way again, he would return to visit. Both of them knew he would never return. Miles and days passed uneventfully. Sometimes Drizzt held the magical brooch Belwar had given to him high. Sometimes he walked in the quiet darkness. Whether coincidence or kind fate, he met no monsters along the course laid out on the rough map. Few things had changed in the Underdark, and though the parchment was old, even ancient, the trail was easily followed. Shortly after breaking camp on his thirty-third day out of Blingenstone, Drizzt felt a lightning of the air, a sensation of that cold and vast wind he so vividly remembered. He pulled the onyx figurine from his pouch and summoned Guinevere to his side. Together they walked on, anxiously, expecting the ceiling to disappear around every bend. They came into a small cave, and the darkness beyond the distant archway was not nearly as gloomy as the darkness behind them. Drizzt held his breath and led Guinevere out. Stars twinkled through the broken clouds of the night sky. 
The moon's silvery light splayed out in the duller glow behind one large cloud, and the wind howled a mountain song. Drizzt was high up in the realms, perched on the side of a tall mountain in the midst of a mighty range. He minded not at all the bite of the breeze, but stood very still for a long time and watched the meandering clouds pass him on their slow aerial trek to the moon. Guinevere stood beside him, unjudging, and Drizzt knew the panther always would. And that is the end of R.A. Salvatore's The Legend of Drizzt, Book 2, Exile. Again, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for waiting and being so interested. Fans of this sh- podcast, of this show, it, it really touches me to know that so many of you enjoy this so much. I did this extra long episode for you so that you could have the conclusion that you all wanted and were asking for so many months. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at crow underscore HVVH. That is K-R-O-W-E underscore HVVH. On Instagram at Chadwick1224. Snapchat C Daigle, D-A-I-G-L-E. 1224 and Facebook Chad Daigle. Please, if you enjoyed this and you enjoy Dungeons and Dragons as much as I do, listen to my podcast, The Wizard of Dint, as we take these adventurers into Baldur's Gate, the descent into Alvernus. And if you wish to hear more about that podcast, you can follow that podcast Twitter at Wizard Dint. That is at Wizard W I Z A R D capital D-N-D, all one word. Thank you again, everybody. And I will return with book three. Don't you worry. Bye-bye.